sent you to the torture house made by the Arabian Peninsula. One I believe one of the most inspirational stories would eliminate the racism. We're willing to produce drugs coming towards the Kaaba. This will corrupt our men who were tortured there. Were Ammar, Ammar. One of the greatest social illnesses which has existed around the world and within the course of history has been the issue of racism. And racism comes in different forms and faces. And if there is one community that comprehends the impact of racism, it is definitely the Muslim community that lives in the West. How so? The Muslim community migrated to the West mostly to prejudice and racism within their homes and within their countries and within their societies. Some traveled due to lack of freedom when it came to religious practices. And some escaped their countries due to tyrannic regimes. And others were political asylums to the West. However, nowadays, we find that with the rise of Islamophobia and the increasing power of the far right, the Muslim community faces racism like it's never faced it before. Every time you tune into a radio station of the far right or you watch their news agencies or read their magazines and newspapers, you will come across the most racist of people. Not only that, but in our daily lives, children being bullied at school every day, women and men of the Islamic faith being discriminated against at their workplace, at the airports, immigration officers, police officers. It is reported that thousands of women in the United States of America, thousands of women in the United Kingdom, Thousands of women in the western part of the world annually report different kinds of hate crime. Amongst them is their hijab being pulled off in public places, being called names. And we wonder, when is this going to end? When is this situation going to change? And of course, nobody's happy about this. For how long? Well, we have to go through airports and be randomly selected. 
You know, it's very funny. I travel a lot, and every time I travel, I am randomly selected. So once I wasn't randomly selected, and I asked the lady, I was like, are you sure I wasn't randomly selected this time? Is there something wrong? Nobody's happy. And obviously, we don't want the same thing to happen to our children. We don't want the same thing to happen to our grandchildren. Therefore, we complain. We file complaints, but those complaints fall on deaf ears. Why is it that they fall on deaf ears? They fall on deaf ears, brothers and sisters, because we're not looking to bring about collective change. What do I mean? I mean... When we come across an officer that shoots down an innocent black man, we shouldn't remain quiet. When we find undocumented citizens put into concentration camps, separated from their children and family members, we should not remain quiet. When we find, for example, a Hindu person at work being discriminated against, or disrespected because of the way they dress or because of their belief, we should not remain quiet. We should stand in solidarity and defense of minorities if and when they need our help. They could be Jews. They could be Hispanics, Latinos, people of color. But we should not be selfish in standing to our own defense but forgetting others. And human beings naturally are selfish. Some of us are more selfish than others. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a reference to that within the Holy Quran. Allah says this human being that's been given the intellect, that's been superiorized above all the rest of creation, sometimes can be the worst of creatures walking on the face of this earth. How so? Look at us human beings today. Who sells weapons to other human beings to kill one another? Is it aliens that manufacture and sell those weapons to us so that we can kill each other? No. Billions upon billions of dollars of weapons are being sold every single year for the destruction of humanity. Not only that, look at the drugs and the alcohol. This business remains to be one of the most thriving businesses around the world. Why? Because of the selfishness of human beings. We're willing to produce drugs, sell it to children, sell it to people, destroy their families, drive them out of their sanity. Why? Because of selfishness, because we want to be rich. We want to make money. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a reference to this in the Holy Quran. He says, look at this bee or look at this ant. You see them as very tiny, insignificant Creatures, yet, go and study them, look at them, look at their lives, how selfless they are with one another. 
as a community. But when it comes to us human beings, yes, obviously we don't sell weapons or drugs. But do you know that 25% of human beings living on the same planet that me and you share do not have clean water to drink? Some people tonight, millions, not hundreds, not tens, millions upon millions of people tonight will end up going to sleep hungry not having a loaf of bread to eat. Millions upon millions of people die every single year from malnutrition. But yet we waste food, we waste water. Look at the way we take showers. Two hours of wasting water under the shower. Why? Knowing that there are other human beings that do not have this water to survive. So if we want change, brothers and sisters, we need to look for collective change. A change, once again, like I said yesterday, a change inspired by the Holy Quran. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the Holy Quran discusses change for the entire community of human beings. Today, if you want to have peace where you live, then collectively we must stand against poverty, we must, against, we must stand against lack of education, we must stand against prejudice, and collectively uplift our communities. And when it comes to discrimination and prejudice, brothers and sisters, one of the most inspirational stories within the Holy Qur'an. One of the most inspirational stories that has been reflected into the sunnah of Rasulullah is the story of an African black slave. A young black Abyssinian slave by the name of Bilal ibn Rubah al-Habashi. If you want to know how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came to fight discrimination, then you ought to study the biography of Bilal, the mu'adhan of Rasulullah, the companion of Rasulullah. If you think people are prejudiced or racist in the West, then try reading history of the Arabs in the Arabian Peninsula 1,400 years ago, every single one of them were racist. And Rasulullah was given a task. What was his task? Go and eliminate racism from the society. I tell you, you needed 2,000 prophets together to do that. That just one, one task of Rasulullah literally needed 2,000 prophets but Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam single-handedly accepted this overwhelming task to fight racism within the Arabian Peninsula and with the most racist of people. 
go today to the Arab countries. 1,400 years later, they're still racist. And the world today talks about the fact that the West is the embodiment of equality and democracy. And yes, indeed, I believe in that. I believe that for many years, the West and the Western part of the world and the Western countries were admired and they were loved. And people wanted to migrate to them from all over the world. Why? Because they were founded and based on equal opportunity and freedom and freedom of religion and equality. But today with the rise of the far right, when you see one of the most powerful people around the world call on to legal citizens of his country to go back home that no longer is the compatible with the principles of humanity. Though, for example, the country where I come from, the United States of America, was based on equality, based on freedom of religion, based on equal opportunity for all. The United States of America is not the United States of the Christians or the Jews or the Democrats or the Republicans. It's not the United States of the Caucasians. It's the United States of America. And it belongs to every legal citizen of that land. Similarly, countries such as Australia, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, many parts of the West. And I tell you, I admire many people in the West because they truly believe in this and they're truly willing to get their voice heard and become proactive to defend those principles of humanity. You know, I've always said you come across people and they are not Muslim by name but they are Muslim by identity. They are Muslim by practice. And you come across Muslims sometimes who carry Islamic names, who have the Quran. However, they are not Islamic in the way they act. And when we gather for the majalis of Imam al-Hussein, especially in those nights, once again we must be able to reconnect with the principles of the Holy Quran and the principles of the Sunnah of Rasulullah Today in our majalis, in our gatherings, do we find racism? Are people nationalistic? Do we find prejudice against certain groups? Absolutely. You know, today someone told me something that shocked me. It's been so shocking to me that some communities are not willing to accept 
a deceased body, a dead body to be washed in their masjid and in their facility because they have a disagreement with one another. Where is this disagreement? One of them believes in Allah and the other doesn't? No, they both believe in Allah. One of them believes in Rasulullah and the other doesn't? They both believe in Rasulullah. They are both believers in the wilayah of Amir al-Mu'mineen. And all of them were black in the days of Muharram. This is shameful. So, if we want to be inspired, brothers and sisters, by the sunnah of Rasulullah and how Rasulullah brought about that change within the Arabian Peninsula, I believe one of the most inspirational stories is the story of Bilal. Ibn Rubaha al-Habashi, this young man who was owned by a very wealthy man, Umayyah bin Khalaf. And Umayyah bin Khalaf realized that Bilal is not somebody who he should, you know, put at the farm or, or do labor work. Bilal was a very smart young man. So he would join the business caravan of Umayyah bin Khalaf. He would represent Umayyah bin Khalaf during the business travels of Quraysh. You know, Quraysh had two seasons of business travel, winter and summer. And they would, they would travel to Iraq. They would either travel all the way to Iraq or they would travel all the way to Sham. And they would do business. And Bilal had become an extremely powerful representative. People knew him, people respected him. And within his biography, they say that Bilal was also a man that wanted to be educated. He wanted to learn. So he would go and sit with Jewish scholars that resided in the surroundings of Mecca and Medina and they were spread out in the Arabian Peninsula. And he realized that one of the most important of their tasks was to await the last messenger of God. He kept speaking of this last messenger of God that's going to appear in the Arabian Peninsula. And within his biography, they say that he wrote down every quality and characteristic of that prophet. And finally, when Rasulullah declared the religion of Islam, when Rasulullah went towards the Kaaba, and he said, Qulu la ilaha illallah tuflihu. Bilal was amongst the very first people to accept the religion of Islam and the calling of Rasulullah, and he converted to Islam. Umayyah bin Khalaf called him and he said to him, Listen, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Going around following Muhammad, reading the Quran. You belong to me. And if you're not going to leave the religion of Muhammad, then I'm about to send you to the torture house made by Quraysh next to the Kaaba. And guess what? Soon enough, Bilal ended up in that torture house. There was a public torture house in the middle of the city of Mecca where the newly Muslims were thrown in there and they were pub they were tortured publicly. 
And some of them actually became martyrs. Some of them died under torture. The very first martyrs in Islam that died in that torture house were whom? The parents of Ammar, Sumayyah and Yasir. Rasulullah would go and stand in front of that torture house. He would watch them be tortured. He was outnumbered. He didn't have anybody to help him, to aid him. So he would say, Sabran ya ala Yasir. Sabran ya ala Yasir, fa'inna maw'idakum al-jannah. Patience, Yasir and Sumayyah. You will soon be joined with paradise. Amongst the men who were tortured there were Ammar, Ammar and Bilal. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam informed them that they're going to survive this torture. And they have a much bigger task. So Ammar survived. Bilal al-Habashi also survived. One day, Khadija, salawatullahi alayha, the wife of Rasulullah, Ummul Mu'mineen, came to Rasulullah. She said, Ya Rasulullah, I can no longer tolerate those newly Muslims being tortured in the middle of the city. Just because of the fact that they have believed in Allah and they have rejected the idols and they are your companions. And I have given all my wealth to you, Ya Rasulullah. So I want you to free this man. Bilal. Rasulullah took that money, he gave it to Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr came and he freed Bilal. And Bilal became one of the closest disciples and companions of Rasulullah. But the role of Bilal truly began after the migration of Rasulullah from Mecca to Medina. And the seventh year after the Hijrah, in the seventh year after the Hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam from Mecca to Medina, Rasulullah decided that he's going to be performing the minor hajj, the umrah. So he gathered his companions, they all wore the ihram, and they went from Medina towards Mecca. This is the seventh year after the Hijrah. And they were intercepted by the mushrikeen. Ya Muhammad, what are you doing? You cannot enter Mecca. You're coming with our slaves and the Arab and the non-Arab and the black and they were all together coming towards the Kaaba. This will corrupt our society. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, you all know in a very famous story, then wrote what was called Sulh al-Hudaybiyah with them, the Hudaybiyah peace treaty. And they put that Hudaybiyah peace treaty within the Kaaba. Rasulullah returned. The eighth year was known as what? The eighth year was known as Amul Fatah. The year that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and the Muslim community liberated Mecca. And there you found the beautiful role of this companion of Rasulullah, Bilal. Rasulullah with all his companions came inside the city of Mecca. It was nighttime. 
when the Meccans woke up in the morning, they realized that Rasulullah has now taken over the city of Mecca. And Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen has gone into the Kaaba and has destroyed every single idol. 365 idols in the Kaaba were destroyed by Amir al-Mu'mineen. How did the Meccans wake up? The Meccans woke up at the call of Adhan of Bilal al-Habashi. Fajr prayers, imagine they're sleeping at their homes. Abu Sufyan and Abu Harb and all of them. And suddenly they hear the calling of Adhan of Bilal al-Habashi from the top of the Kaaba. They all opened up their doors. They came to Masjid al-Haram and they realized that Rasulullah is about to begin salah. You know what some of them said? They looked at each other and they said, one of them said to, to the other, that how lucky is my father? He said, how so? He says, how lucky is my father that he did not see this mule stand on top of the Kaaba? The other one kept calling him crow. You know, the, the black bird. What's this crow doing shouting on top of the Kaaba? And they came complaining to Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, you know all those Arabs, they're complaining, they're saying, you should have chosen somebody else. Somebody, you know, more handsome possibly, with a better voice. Somebody who's not an ex-slave, somebody who comes from a better lineage, somebody who's had a better background. And immediately right there and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends this ayah within the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Ahzab, chapter 47 of the Holy Quran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ya ayyuhal nas, O you people, O you human beings, Ya ayyuhal nas, We've created you from a single parent. All your father, all of you, your father is Adam and your mother is Eve. And we've put you in different tribes and ethnicities and we've given you different backgrounds and colors and cultures. لِتَعَارَفُوا So that you may get to know one another. إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ The most noble of you is the one with more taqwa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here was a witness to the taqwa of Bilal al-Habashi. Allah witnessed that this man, the reason why he's been chosen is because of his taqwa, his righteousness. But you would think that this was the first time people complain about Bilal being the Mu'addin of Rasulullah. No. When Rasulullah entered Medina, he prayed in a masjid that you, inshallah, will go and visit and pray there, Masjid Quba. It's in Medina, the very first masjid in Islam. As soon as Rasulullah built that masjid, he appointed Bilal to be his spokesman. To be... The man who calls the Adhan five times a day from the minarets. The Rasulullah came into the city of Medina and appointed Bilal to call the Adhan from his masjid in Medina every single day. 
And there, some Muslims came complaining to Rasulullah. Ya Rasulullah, at least choose someone who can pronounce the Arabic language correctly. Bilal could not even pronounce Sheen. He, sh he says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Pick someone else for this task. What did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam say? One of his most remarkable statements, Sheenu Bilalin, Sheenun indallah. The scene of Bilal is sheen with the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not going to discriminate against this man because he does not have good pronunciation or he does not come from a famous family or he does not have a prestigious lineage. But it is taqwa that puts him above others. And Bilal stayed loyal a devoted companion to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And many people wonder, what happened to those companions? After the demise of Rasulullah, what happened to such companions that were so loyal to Rasulullah? They understood the message of Rasulullah. And I tell you, for us, the followers of Ahlul Bayt, the biography of Bilal al-Habashi, its importance shows itself from the moment that Rasulullah fell ill in his bed. This is what I want to highlight tonight. When Rasulullah fell ill in his bed, brothers and sisters, you all know that he called on to the people to leave the Medina, leave Medina, and join the camp of Osama bin Zayd. He created an army. And he chose a young man, Osama bin Zayd, to lead that army. And Rasulullah, according to all Muslims, all Muslims, Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, all the books of Sahih, all the books of the, all the historians, he says, "Iltahiqu bi jaysh Usama, la'an Allahu man takhlafa an jaysh Usama." Rasulullah curses those who do not join the army of Usama bin Zayd to leave Medina, because Rasulullah knew he was. Spending his last moments and days in Medina, and he wanted a, a smooth transition for Amir al Mu'mineen. So, Rasulullah would hear the, the adhan of Bilal, and sometimes he was able to go and lead the prayers. So, he would be carried by Al Fadl and Imam Ali into the masjid and he would lead his prayers in his last days with a few men who were given permission to remain in Medina with Rasulullah. The rest all had to leave. And one day Rasulullah heard the adhan of Bilal in his last days and he announced that he was incapable. He was not able to pray. So he says, Ya Ali, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, tell them, فَلْيُصَلِّي بِهِمْ أَحَدَهُمْ Tell them, the people in the masjid, one of them should lead the prayers. There was a woman in the house of Rasulullah. She heard this. She called 
someone and she said, go and tell my father, Rasulullah is not going to be attending salah. This is your opportunity. Go and stand in the mihrab of Rasulullah and lead the salah. While Abu Bakr had been appointed and asked to join the army of Osama bin Zayd, he had to be outside Medina. He went and he stood in the mihrab of Rasulullah. As soon as Bilal saw Abu Bakr, he says, Abu Bakr, aren't you supposed to be in the army, amongst the army of Osama bin Zayd? What are you doing here? He says, Rasulullah has asked me to lead the salah. So Bilal went to the house of Rasulullah. He knocked at the door of the house of Rasulullah. They opened the door. It's Bilal. I would like to speak to Rasulullah. Rasulullah gave him permission. Bilal says, Ya Rasulullah, this man is here to lead the salah. Did you order him to lead the salah? Rasulullah, go and read history, brothers and sisters. Rasulullah says, Ya Ali, O Fadl, carry me to the masjid. Ask yourselves. Rasulullah said, let one of them lead the prayers. Why is it that when this man stood to lead the prayers, Rasulullah now wants to go to the masjid? Rasulullah has informed of what's going to happen soon. Of the calamity that's about to fall on the Muslim ummah. Rasulullah was carried by Amir al-Mu'mineen and Fadl into the masjid. He removed him from the mihrab and he prayed in the masjid on that day. That is one stance of Bilal. The other, of course, you know, is that after the demise of Rasulullah, Bilal never went onto the minarets of the masjid of Rasulullah. And he never again called the adhan. Go read history and see how much pressure Bilal was under to keep on doing the adhan. Many people were sent by the Khalifa to Bilal, Bilal. You have to come back and do the adhan. Salah remains. Rasulullah has been, has departed the community. But, Rasul, but Salah is there. Why aren't you doing the adhan? And Bilal would not do the adhan. Until one day, the Khalifa himself called him. He came into the presence of Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr told him, Bilal, did you forget who freed you? Did you forget who brought the money and paid for your freedom? Now I'm asking you to perform the adhan and you're saying no? This is a dialogue in the books of all the Muslims, by the way. Bilal says to him, Ya Abu Bakr, first of all, you were delivering the money of Khadija. If you came to free me on that day, did you do this fi sabilillah? If you did this fi sabilillah, you cannot ask me to do that which I am not comfortable to do anymore. And if you did it for your own sake and for your own agenda, then that is not an act of a righteous man. Do not ask me to do the adhan after the demise of Rasulullah. The pressure was so much that Bilal left Medina. He left the city of Medina. He left the city of Medina and maybe a month, two months later they say that he had missed Rasulullah so much and he would cry 
every single night. So he slept one night and he saw Rasulullah and his dream. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam says to him, Ya Bilal, I want you to return to Medina. So Bilal returned to Medina and he went to the house of As-Sayyida Fatima al-Zahra. Fatima says, Ya Bilal, where have you been? I miss your adhan. And I miss the adhan of the time of my father Rasulullah. Call the adhan for us. So Bilal went on top of the minarets and he began to say the call the adhan. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Fatima began to cry. When he reached Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, they say that Fatima to Zahra fainted. She passed out out of cries. They went to him. They said, Ya Bilal, aqifil adhan. Stop, stop. He said, Why? They say to him, because Fatima to Zahra has fainted from her cries of your adhan, Ya Bilal. After that adhan, when Bilal did this adhan, he was then thrown out of the city of Medina. Go read the biography of Bilal. And he was exiled in Sham. Whoever from the companions of Rasulullah who did not agree with the new Khilafah was exiled where? Sham. Send him to Muawiyah. Let Muawiyah take care of him. And Bilal there kept speaking of the hadiths of Rasulullah, the manaqib of Ahl al-Bayt, the fada'il of Amir al-Mu'mineen. Until the news reached Umar ibn al-Khattab, the second Khalifa. I urge you, brothers and sisters, when we say all the Sahaba were equal, all the Sahaba are infallible, or the Sahaba were equal in the eyes of Allah, how come is it that one day when the news reached from Sham to Umar ibn al-Khattab that Bilal was extremely critical of the expansions of the Muslim army and the corruption in the Muslim army, he was extremely hurt and he says, Allahumma arihni min Bilal wa jama'atah. Oh Allah, free me from Bilal. Take care of Bilal for me. And guess what happened? Bilal died right after that. So they say this is a karama from Sayyidina Umar that when he prayed against Sayyidina Bilal, he died. Which kind of karama is this? That the mu'adhan of Rasulullah dies? Well, guess what? It wasn't just a prayer. It was more of a message. And if you talk about discrimination, brothers and sisters, no community. After the demise of Rasulullah until today has been discriminated against like the followers of Ahl al-Bayt. Limbs were amputated when people would just simply go and visit the shrine of Imam al-Hussein. People were thrown into mass graves because of their love for the Ahl al-Bayt. The discrimination was so severe that let me tell you this, 
one day Fatima al-Zahra sallallahu alayha she says to her husband Amir al-Mu'mineen after the demise of Rasulullah she says Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen this was the peak of the calamities of Ahlul Bayt the peak of the calamities when you go out in the streets the people approach you and they say salam to you and they respect you you are the brother of Rasulullah, the cousin of Rasulullah, the son, the son in law of Rasulullah, you are awwal al-qawmi islaman wa aqdamuhim imanan. Do people come and say salam to you and respect you and greet you? Amir al-Mu'mineen, he says to her, Ya Fatima, they don't come to greet me and sometimes they don't even respond to my salam. You know, one day Amir al-Mu'mineen left his home because for three days Hassan and Hussein and his children had not had any food to eat. So he went to borrow a dinar, a single dinar to buy food for his children. This is how he was treated. Fadak was taken away from them. They were not given from Bayt al-Mal. They were under house arrest. So Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen went to take one dinar. He came out and he saw his companions, Maghdad and Abu Dhar and Ammar. And, Why are you here? Why are you out in the middle of the heat of Medina? You should be resting at home. They said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, we're out because of hunger. We don't have food to eat. Amir al-Mu'mineen took that dinar and dirham and he gave it to them. He said, go and buy food. And he returned to his family, to the family of Rasulullah to al-Rasulullah while they were starving. And the discrimination continued and continued against the Ahlul Bayt until the greatest of calamities fell onto the Muslims. La yawm ka yawmika ya Aba Abdullah. Is there a calamity greater than the martyrdom of Sayyid al-Shuhada al-Imam al-Hussein. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.